This is Spin Control, a Fibercraft podcast by a joyful girl. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Spin Control, episode 141, Accidental Deadlines. In this episode, I've got some knitting, a little bit of spinning, tiny, tiny bit of sewing talk. We're going to talk about fire. I've got a little tale for you about accidental deadlines, and I'm going to put my spin on the book Spin to Knit by Shannon Oki. But of course, we will get this episode kicked off with some updates. Things have been pretty quiet here. As I mentioned, I was going to make a trek up to the Denver area to hang out with Bird for part of the weekend last weekend and visit Interweave's Yarn Fest for the first time. And I really had a great trip up there. It was so crazy. So one of the things I'm going to talk about in updates is our weather. I would consider the weather in Colorado spring-ish or winter-ish, depending on the day. So Thursday afternoon last week. It was like 70 degrees and beautiful. By the time the sun had completely set, it probably dropped like 40 degrees. Friday was cold, but okay. Like it, it, you know, it was still probably in the 40s. I took off work a little bit early so that I could head to Denver and avoid like all the major rush hour traffic and all that stuff. By the time I left my house around 1230 in the afternoon, it was foggy because the temperature had dropped again, and this weird mix of rain and snow had started to fall. That lasted all the way up to Denver. Well, not all the way up to Denver. So it lasted probably halfway to Denver, and then the skies kind of cleared up. No more moisture was falling out of the sky, and it was kind of chill. It kind There were some spits and spurts while I was in Denver, and then that same evening, Bird and I decided to actually get a hotel room and drive up to Loveland because we weren't sure exactly what the weather was going to do. And Loveland, Colorado, where Yarnfest was held, is actually an hour north of where Bird lives. So I'm really glad we did because it kind of snowed the whole time we drove up there. It wasn't like horrible storm, but I certainly was not expecting that the second week of, of April, right? So the weather was a little weird. And on Saturday morning, I got a picture from the boy and we had actually had 10 inches of snow at the house overnight. So all his plans were ruined because he was planning to like get up at 5:30, like drive all the way across town and do this this um yeah. So it was just really strange. The weather just can't make up its mind what it wants to do and what it wants to be. <laughs> we're all kind of accommodating, I guess. So yeah, glad we spent the night in Loveland. I met up with my friend and she's an instructor and she had finished teaching that morning. She didn't have any classes to teach on Saturday. So the next morning they were going to head out back home. I think she's from Connecticut, but we had dinner and it was great. We had a couple cocktails, spent the night, got up at a leisurely pace, didn't have to hit the road to drive anywhere because it was in, we actually stayed at the same hotel where the convention was being held. So that was cool. And here's what I have to say about Yarnfest, the marketplace. It was not worth $15. (laughs) I would say if you're from like this region and you're considering spending 15 bucks to get into the Yarnfest marketplace, don't. If you took classes and actually had access to the marketplace 
as part of your registration fees and stuff, it's totally worth it. But I didn't really see any major demos or anything like that that would make it worth paying the extra money for, considering how many other smaller and much larger events there are in Colorado where you're going to see all the same vendors. So like Estes Park is in June. Um, Salida Fiber Fest is pretty small, but they have a lot of the local regional vendors end up there. And there really wasn't anything that I saw there that I couldn't have waited a month to see at my next event. So, meh, I'm glad I went. I'm glad I got to hang out with Bird. But, you know, I won't pay and go again unless I would end up taking a class or something like that. So, yeah, that's my two cents on that one. The one thing that came out of the event that I'm sure I could have done at any other event in the local area was I bought a copy of the field guide to fleece <laughs> to replace the previous two that I had lost. And I, what I decided was that book is going to live in my festival bag. I have a Kabu bag that um, the boy got me for Christmas, probably three or four years ago. And I like to take it to the various festivals and things like that to carry around marketplaces and stuff. And I keep my reusable shopping bags in it. And, and yeah, so the field guide to fleece is just going to live in that bag. So I have that reference on hand. And now as long as I don't lose the bag, I should be doing pretty well. Oh, guys, I don't know. I crack myself up sometimes. But yeah, that looks like just about all I've got going on in updates. So I guess it's time to get this podcast started. And now it's on to spin a tail. And in this edition, I need to talk to you about accidental deadlines. So I realized this past week, while I was contemplating what other projects I want to work on, that I have accidentally, inadvertently, set a bunch of kind of arbitrary, but deadlines nonetheless for myself that I really need to meet in order to keep my crafting on track for this year. Mostly it is knitting, some of it is spinning. It was actually the spinning that made me realize, dang it, you just set this deadline for yourself and you totally didn't mean to, right? Okay, so that's where I am with that. <sighs> okay, inadvertent deadlines, accidental deadlines. First, the oatmeal cardigan that I am knitting on. I have about two and a half weeks before I really need to get that done. Because accidentally, during this random remote worker morale event, I was knitting on the cardigan on an on-camera Teams meeting. And everybody asked me about it. We were all talking about it. I told them I made the yarn. So in like two and a half weeks, what I really need to do is to be able to wear that cardigan to an in-person event that I will be attending in Maryland. Because all those coworkers who were on the Teams call will be there. So total accidental deadline. And with everything else I've been doing, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Like two weeks? Ooh. Okay, so in like two and a half weeks, if I get the knitting done before the Sunday at the end of Maryland Sheep and Wool, then I should be able to block it and wear it into the office on the Wednesday or Thursday that I have to be there, right? That's reasonable. So I, yeah, I have about two and a half weeks before I need to be 100% completely done with the cardigan and have it finished which oh my gosh I just realized that's gonna be hard because there's a button band 
but my, my Tanya should be able to help me with the button band. So, so maybe if I get it all done, except for the button band, my Tanya can help me with the button band when I am in Maryland. Okay. And that's not the only one at all. So as I'm working my way through this fleece that I'm processing, I realized I am spinning it on the wheel that I will want to take to soar at the end of October. It is April. So I need to finish processing, finish spinning, and finish plying the Gotland fleece by the end of October so that all my bobbins can be empty so I can take that wheel with me to soar. Totally accidental deadline, but it has to be done, right? Okay, so that's where I am with that. What else? Oh, so I need to finish those socks as my travel project by, I won't get them done in two weeks. No way. Because I have a pride hat that I need to knit for bird for June. And I've had the pattern and the kit for that since last Maryland Sheep and Wool. And I haven't even started it yet. So accidental deadline need to get that done for her or it never will. (sighs) So yeah. So I keep doing this to myself and I think this is a recurring theme, but it's taken me all this time in my life to actually realize that. (laughs) So I'm setting accidental deadlines for myself. Like I stopped holiday crafting, like for people and gifts, because I didn't want to put myself under that kind of pressure. And here I am accidentally doing it to myself with these arbitrary deadlines I'm setting for myself within constraints and limitations I'm accidentally setting for myself. Ugh. Okay, so now I've got deadline pressure that I'm not enjoying, but maybe I'll pull it off. Maybe I won't. We'll see, right? Yeah. So accidental deadlines, they are kind of my downfall right now. And now it is on to spinning my wheels. And this edition is going to be heavily focused on swatching. I think we are all aware, like I don't swatch with my commercial yarn before I decide what I'm going to do to make sure I get gauged before I cast on a professionally created pattern. But apparently I swatch a lot for other things. So I definitely swatch for designing knitwear. And I had this crazy idea in my head that I wanted to make a tank top to wear for this year's Maryland Sheep and Wool. I am banking on the idea that the weather is going to be nicer than it's been the last two years. The last two years, the weather has been cold and wet, often rainy. The first Maryland Sheep and Wool I went to in 2010, it was hot. Like it was darn right. It was hot. And I had knit myself a pattern. I was all proud of myself. I knit the Perrin Tank by Nora Gon. It is in Broca's booklet number 285, Linen Picnic. And it's the cutest little wrap tank top. And it's like an apron style. Huh, Perrin. It's an apron style tank top. I just got that. Good job, Nora. It's an apron style tank top. And... It was adorable. I really, really enjoyed wearing it. And I'm like, I haven't knit myself a tank top for Maryland Sheep and Wool in years. I should do that again. That, that, that was another way that I came to that harsh realization that I am creating all these inadvertent deadlines for myself. So I can't really, I don't have time to knit a tank top between now and Maryland Sheep and Wool because I would just put everything else aside and knit on the tank top and probably not get it done in time. 
But instead of searching through like Ravelry or my library for an existing tank top pattern, I decided to design my own. So at first it started out as just textures. I want a texture at the top that leads into the straps and a mirrored texture at the bottom to keep the bottom from like rolling. Mostly stockinette stitch with some garter stitch detailing that creates the textures and the mirrored texture. And then I decided, you know, it would be cool. That's, you know, kind of how my design process goes. If the two different textures were in two different colors, how cool would that be? So I actually decided on some cotton yarn. I have from one of my crazy trips to Joann's, I found some Lion Brand Re-Up yarn and it is, I'm looking at the ball band right now, 85% cotton and 15% polyester. I believe it's all recycled cotton. And then I also have a couple different colors of, I have like three skeins of this really pretty purple organic cotton blend. And I think that the two of them, like the one is a medium gray and the other is this really pretty purple. And I think they'll go really well together. So I've been swatching for that tank top mirrored texture pattern. And yeah, so that's a thing. And it's totally going to happen. Just not for this year. So I've been swatching for that. That's been really good for knitting during like Zoom meetings where I just have to like listen. So that's been keeping my hands busy. It's not like so small like the socks where I have to concentrate really hard. Well, I don't have to concentrate at all on the sweater that I'm knitting but that's a totally different story and we'll get there. But yeah, so I've been swatching a lot and it's fun. I really do enjoy. I think that might be one of my favorite parts about designing is actually seeing this idea that I have brewing in my head turn into a reality in the swatch. That just makes me so happy and brings me joy. And so far it's working out. So I'm pretty pleased. I'm actually making progress on those socks as well. I turn both heels and I use the German short row heel and that is a little bit more difficult on the light fingering weight yarn and small needles but both heels are turned the legs are progressing and if that isn't done by the time I leave for Maryland Sheep and Wool it will be like my airplane knitting so that's also has me pretty pleased that I'm progressing on those the oatmeal cardigan I have that deadline (laughs) that I mentioned earlier it's boring. It's, it's boring. Uh, I'm knitting stockinette stitch flat. So it's just like 285 stitches of knitting followed by 285 stitches of purling. And it's not difficult. It's just boring. I just need to force myself to get back to it and use it for power knitting. I mean, we watch enough TV and we go chill and sit around plenty that I should have a lot of time to dedicate to that over the next few weeks. I'm more than halfway done with that body portion before I divide for the arms and the yoke. So it's coming along and it'll be done in no time. I'll just keep telling myself, (laughs) but I've been getting a lot of knitting done and it's been fun. Spinning. So spinning is also knitting this time around because I'm also swashing (laughs) and sampling. Okay. So last time I recorded my master plan was to separate out an ounce and a half of that gauntlet and process it on my mini drum carter to see what happened, to see if I liked the spin, to see if I liked the end product. And 
you know, like how difficult or easy was it to process on the drum carter. And it wasn't difficult at all. It was actually pretty fast. And I loaded up the drum carter, emptied it out and ran it through the carter three times to get it as smooth as possible. And that really worked out. And then I divided it into three equally weighted chunks, pre-drafted those chunks and spun them and plied them. I set that yarn and now what I'm doing as I record is I am swatching. So I'm swatching both the yarn that I made with a traditional worsted prep followed by a traditional worsted draft three ply. And I'm also swatching the woolen prepped yarn that I used a worsted method, short forward draft to spin, did a three ply. So essentially, even though both of these samples were prepped worsted versus woolen, I drafted the same, plied them the same, prepped them the same, and now I'm swatching them with the same stitch count on the same size needles to see what the variation is in the fabric that is my end result. And like the more I knit with this, the more I am absolutely falling in love with the idea of spinning this entire fleece. If I have any left because I've been doing so much sampling. Okay, no, I haven't done that much sampling. I had, what did I say? Three pounds and five ounces of the longest staple left after it was washed and after I sorted out the shorter staples. I have sampled, I would say, maybe three and a half ounces. So I still have three pounds of this fleece left. There's definitely plenty left for me to spin and knit an entire sweater from this. And I'm getting pretty excited, especially as I'm knitting these swatches. It's enticing. So I would say both preps, one of the things that I'm finding is I had heard on a YouTube video, I believe, that Gotlin is a lot like mohair in that it's a little prickly and has not a substantial halo, but quite a halo. And that seems to be true no matter what the prep is because of the way that the locks are and the staple length and the way the, the crimp structure is, you get a lot of ends just kind of poking out. But they're not short ends, they're long. They're connected to like a seven inch piece of fiber on the other end, but it definitely has, produces quite a halo on the yarn. So I really don't know if it's going to make that much difference to me, which prep I use because it, it's very similar in the look of the final yarn. There are definitely some differences. I felt like when I had them skeined up after they were set, the one that was prepped woolen and then spun like the final yarn seemed sloppier to me. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to like this. Like it still held a lot of sheen because of the short forward draft, but it was still sloppier and a little bit more muted the shine wasn't quite there throughout the entire skein, like it is in the sample that I combed. But the density of the yarn is definitely different. For example, the three ply that was combed and then short forward draft seems more dense. It's not ropey, but it definitely seems like a more dense yarn, less soft and squishy. Of course, I mean, and you would totally expect that from the, the different prep method. So once I finish the swatches, I will set and block the swatches and decide which hand feel I like the best because I think I like the yarns equally and knitting with them both is giving me an idea of what it's going to be like. I'm really, really having a great time playing with this fleece, processing the fleece and making decisions along the way. Lots of swatching, right? 
The one thing I am going to do for myself while I am traveling to Maryland for both work and pleasure is I'm going to take a travel spinning project. I'm probably going to take one of my electric spinning wheels and I think I'm going to pick something from my stash that is a blend. I would like a super rush, maybe merino or some kind of wool blended with some nylon so that I can spend my travel spinning time starting to spin for socks. I don't think I spin fine enough in general to get a three ply that's 400 yards or more out of a four ounce braid. I know it's possible. I think I've done it once, but in my regular comfortable spinning mode, I usually am closer between 250 and 300 yards. So it's definitely not a fingering weight yarn that I'm spinning, but that doesn't mean it won't be good for socks. So that's my goal is to spin for sock yarn, maybe a little bit finer than I normally do in my go-to spinning method, but that's my plan. I'm going to pick some travel spinning, prep one of my electric spinning wheels for travel and take that with me to Maryland so I can spin on it while I'm out. So I'm excited for some more casual recreational spinning. So that's cool. That's what I got planned for some future spinning. All right, let's talk about fire. I know, what does that have to do with spinning my wheels, right? So I didn't actually make any real progress on sewing. However, I played with fire, literal flames to burn things. So let's talk about that for a second. I remembered as I was like sorting through my scrap fabric, I'm like, I don't know what this stuff is anymore. I don't remember where I purchased it. I'm having a hard time even remembering what I did with the, you know, the full yardage that I purchased. If I did, most of it was probably remnants that I pre-washed, threw away the tags. So yeah, I'm like, okay, I have all of this scrap fabric and I don't know what the contents of it are. How am I going to figure out if this is going to be microwave safe, right? The last thing I want is to throw a bowl cozy in the microwave and have it melt in one microwave. Then I remembered that Judith Mackenzie McEwen in her book, The Intentional Spinner, in chapter four, she talks about the science of fibers and she has an entire chart about the burn test. Do you know what this is? Like, I think we've all heard about it for yarn, but it works on fabric too, because it's just fiber, right? Okay, so she has a whole page chart. She talks about cellulose fibers, protein fibers, and manufacture fibers, and what happens when you burn them, what the flame looks like, how it burns, how it smells, what the smoke looks like, and what the ash looks like. So this was perfect. So this is what I did. I got a mason jar, filled it up mostly with water, got a thing of matches out of our little cabinet, and stood over my kitchen sink with little triangles, like tiny triangles. They were probably like two inch triangles that I had cut off like the corners and weird scrap edges of this fabric. And I stood over my sink burning it and I smelled it and I looked to see if it was melting and I played with the ash and then I dropped it in the water so I wouldn't burn my house down or burn myself. And yes, everything I had selected is cotton. According to this lovely chart, it's beautiful. It's on page 57 of the Intentional Spinner. Remember how I told you like the whole beginning of the book is all this information that you never ever thought you would need? I needed it. And now I'm glad I knew it was there. And I'm really glad it occurred to me that yarn and fabric will work the same way. Dush I. That just really made me super happy. Didn't make any progress. But I took the time to test all the fabric I had chosen to make sure it wasn't going to melt in my microwave once it becomes cozies. And that's all I've got in spinning my wheels. In this episode, I'm going to put my spin on Spin to Knit, 
A Knitter's Guide to Making Yarn by Shannon Oki. This book was published by Interweave Press in 2006. It is one of the older spinning books I own, and I bought it right around the time that I started spinning. I never did read it cover to cover, I don't think, but when I purchased it, it was exactly what I needed for motivation. It is pretty decently written. The one thing I would say is if you are a knitter looking to learn to spin, this book will provide motivation, but there are books out there that will provide you with more instruction. She kind of skims over the spinning. I mean, and really it's enough of the skimming to get you sucked in and want to learn more. She has a ton of patterns like the, not a ton. All right. It's not a ton. More than half the book is actually dedicated to knitting patterns. And as you can see with a bunch of the other books I've reviewed, even if they've got patterns in them, the majority of the book is focused on spinning. This book is definitely focused on knitting, but it's not super girthy when it comes to instructional material. It literally is like a taster. So if you want to get it, if you were thinking about beginning to spin and you're not a spinner, this book is enough to get you hooked but you're going to have to go to other resources to really get the meat and potatoes from this meal. It's a snack. It's an appetizer and it's not poorly written. It's not like it's well-written. I enjoyed the photography. I enjoyed her voice, but it's literally just a snack size spinning section. So if you want more from a spinning book, I wouldn't go to this first. If you have knitting friends that you want to convince or get them interested in spinning, this is not a bad way to start them off. It gives them just a taste where they're going to get sucked in and want more, which may have been the intention of the book to begin with. You can tell Shannon Oki, at the time this book was written, was a knitter who was completely enamored with spinning. But I wouldn't have called any of the material advanced at all. It's definitely a snack size taste of spinning for a knitter who's interested in beginning to learn or thinking about learning. and. I recommend it. Like I said, if you want to get one of your knitting friends to start spinning, not a bad way to go. If you just are still entertaining the idea of starting to spin, not a bad way to go. If you are committed all in, you've already bought fiber and a wheel and a spindle, and you just want to get going full blast on spinning, this isn't the book for you. If you want to advance your skills, not the book for you. It was a really good book. But you can definitely tell it's just kind of like an introduction to what spinning could be for you as a knitter. There are some cute patterns in there. There is a yoke sweater that combines commercial yarn and hand spun yarn, which is a great way to use up some of the stuff in my stash that I'm going to eventually knit. There's some cute hats and things. So not a bad book. Not my first choice if you want to learn to spin. There's actually only about 40 pages of this 120 page book dedicated to the spinning. And like I said, more than half of the book is dedicated to to actual knitting patterns. Good book and it serves a purpose. Just not if you know you're going to want more. Well, it looks like it is time to spin off this episode of Spin Control. Thank you all so much for joining me. I have had a good time recording this episode for you. In like the month of May, which is right around the corner, means that I'm going to have like an onslaught of stuff going on in my life. I've got travel for work, travel for mail and sheep and wool. My nephew 
graduates from high school here in just about a month. And my mom is coming into town for that. So we will have visitors and parties and all sorts of stuff going on. So it should be a good time. And I will have a lot going on and hopefully it doesn't take up too much of my time. Now, recording the next episode may be a little bit hairy because, or the date I have slated for that is the day before Maryland Sheep and Walt. So I will have to see if I will actually be able to get our episode recorded on time. How fun will that be? But I've got a lot of stuff planned and a lot of things I'm excited about. And I hope you do too. And thank you again for tuning in for another episode. I am going to be leading us out of this episode with a song by the Cranberries. I don't know what it is. Lately, I've had my mind on some of that flashback to my college days 90s music. And I really have been enjoying it. Thank you all again for tuning in. And as always, you can get the details about this episode and all the past episodes at spincontrolpodcast.com. You can email me at shiloh at foreverhandmade.com. Catch me on Ravelry and Instagram as Forever Handmade. Thanks again, guys. I'll talk to you soon.